When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our old drummer was playing with Sugarland, Travis McNabb, and I called up Travis. I was like, hey, man, give me Christian's phone number. And I called Christian. I was like, are you guys still working on your Sugarland album? He goes, yeah, dude, we're recording Tuesday, and we need a single. And I was like, I have your single. Hey, welcome to episode 394. I like this one a lot. It's Kevin Griffin, the lead singer of Better Than Ezra. He's... So much more than that now, but that's what I knew him for. That's what I fell in love with him for back in the day because it was one of my favorite bands, and I used to watch a lot of their shows. But they had a massive hit with this song here, Good. Loved, Desperately Wanting. Extraordinary was a jam. But he's also, like, he had that version of his career, and then he's written a bunch of massive songs, like Stuck Like Glue, Sugarland. You know, this is, like, the 11th most downloaded country song of all time. Yeah, crazy. Man, they made a little bit off that, <laughs> dang. He also, I don't know if you knew this, but he wrote Howie Day Collide. You and I collide. I don't sing it that good, but he wrote that, too. I got it. Like, he's done... His thing, he wrote for other people. He's got a new book out called The Greatest Song, Spark Creativity, Ignite Your Career, and Transform Your Life. And it's out now. So it's not it's not about songwriting. It's about just his story and music-ish, but how you can kind of incorporate that into your life. Um, he has an audio book, but I hope you check it out. And he's doing book tour dates in L.A., Chicago. Uh, he's touring with Train. He actually wrote a song for Train, I think more than one, but the I Got You song is one he wrote. He's the pilgrimage music and cultural festival guy. Uh, everything's linked in the episode. But we get into all that. But really, it's about better than Ezra for me. Yeah. To be honest. And we talk about the book for sure. But it's about, it's about better than Ezra. You know, that's really what it's about. Uh, Kevin Griffin. He's got a new book. I hope you check it out. All the links again. Just hit that little deal where it tells you all that info. And let's get going. We're almost 400. So close. Almost 400 doing them one a week, basically. Yeah. It's easy to get to 400. It's not even easy. It's easier to get to 400 if you're doing three, four, five episodes a week, if that's like your deal. But you, we've been doing this for 38 years. I just looked. Uh, yeah, we started 2017 in the closet. We started 1986. <laughs> All right, thank you. And follow Kevin at Kevin M. Griffin. Let's go. It's always weird interviewing people that, one, that you're a fan of, and then two, um, that you're trying to encapsulate a bit of their whole career into 50 minutes. Right. So just follow me. I'm with you. And let's see where we go. I'm with you, Padawan. Because it's you wrote a book. And I first of all, I know the the struggle of writing a book. And I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing when I wrote my first book. Neither did I. And it's kind of how I've done everything is I wasn't really scared to do it. But once I got in it, I was like, I wish I'd have been scared to do this because holy crap. Yeah, it's it's a whole new kind of it's a whole new world and the discipline 
And uh, what, I, what I've kind of did, I wrote, I wrote a book in 2001. I finished a book, and I started having it edited. It was pure fiction. And then The Hangover came out. And it was so much better than my book. So I got kind of discouraged. Was it similar? Yeah. It yeah. was about guys in, in a bachelor party gone wrong. But this went in Tampa. This was in Tampa, but theirs was Vegas. It was much, it was, and there was no Zach Galifianakis character, no baby, no sunglasses. So I was like, God damn it. And I, I shelved it. Uh, but what I did with that book is I kind of, I have, I read a lot. So I have books. I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to use this shape, this form. And I kind of did it with this book too. I was like, you know, there's just, I, just with songwriting, a lot of times you're like, I love that song. I love how they build it, that construction. I'm just going to emulate that structure. And I did that writing the book. It helped me. So fiction, Jake Stark, not a real person. Not a real person. But I mean, it's... He's all of us. But it's you. You can't I mean, help but be... Let, you let know, me you, walk through some stuff and you just tell me how it, how, what the analogy is with you, the parallel with you. Yeah. Because some of it really just screamed Kevin to me. It does, doesn't it? Number one. Hit songwriter Jake Stark, who'd had a respectable career as a recording artist in the early 1990s. Hmm. Okay, so, I mean, you, this is right on the nose. Oh, yeah. No, well, right. okay. Purposely, purposely, okay. for okay, sure. Okay, just making sure. Uh, so, let's just take that point and kind of dive into it a little bit. Um, Better Than Ezra, your band, obviously, that I was a massive fan of. I went to so many shows in high school and even um, into college because you guys were not only big nationally but I'm from Arkansas so regionally dude you SCC, were everywhere we're SEC brothers yes so that you're that, a hog I'm a tiger I'd see in Fayetteville I'd see in Little Rock JR's did you ever see us in JR's light bulb club yes oh my god I'd see god. in Shreveport <laughs> and so to me when you guys were just the biggest coolest thing I was already like I don't know I've been a fan of them already since I was like nine it's amazing and when that because you didn't better than Ezra wasn't your move to LA was it? Well, Ezra was already, you know, a band. We got together my junior year at LSU, and we were playing like frat parties and all the SEC schools. And then I, after a year after I graduated in 1990, we kind of took a hiatus. We were a four-piece, and one of the members died, and the band a good friend. And it was I was like, wow, I need a break. And I lived in Aspen for a year. I was an apres ski guy. No I music. Mean, I was playing music, but, but I was but, playing covers. Yeah, got Ezra, it. we took a hiatus, and then I moved out to L.A. and I was living in West Hollywood. And somebody, the, the old bar in Baton Rouge, said, "Hey, would you guys want to come back and play a show?" And six months had gone by since you know the death of our band member. And after six months, I was like, "Let's try it." And we suddenly became a three piece. And um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, so L.A. And then I was like, guys, I'm living in L.A. And they they all moved out to L.A. And we were valets and bartenders. And we made that first album for five thousand dollars in an apartment on South Flora Street in West Hollywood. Did you guys all move back southeast? Yeah. So we made the record, uh, did everything ourselves. And we were like, OK, we don't want to be in L another L.A. band. We have this great fan base and following in the southeast. And we moved back. We moved to Baton Rouge for about six months, and then we moved to the Garden District in New Orleans. And then we were putting our albums in every record store in the Southeast and in, in going by, like, you know, WUMS at Oxford, Mississippi, and in Tuscaloosa and Athens, Georgia, really just, like, hawking it. And that's when it kind of changed for us. Did you guys have a first single when you were – or, or what, what was the first single that really wasn't a record company putting out a single? The first song that ever got – interest other than our rem covers was a song called cdu and cdu back in the day stood for chemical dependency unit and it was just a it was this really great rock song and it was the first song, real rock song we did that didn't again didn't sound like rem and, and that was the first song as a songwriter that people were like hey man could you what was that song blah blah blah, blah cd i was like well that's one of ours and that was like the aha moment i was like i need to write more like that and that was a cassette. It was our first uh, cassette called Surprise and local. And we would go to you know college stations and they would play that cassette. And then in 1991 was when I wrote Good and we started playing Good. And in, in, in the whole wah-ah thing was supposed to be a lyric, but we played. Did you ever go to W.C. Don's in Jackson, Mississippi? No. It was a double-wide trailer that was a club. And it was run by the, uh, there was a, a mental institution and, and some of the uh, the people who worked there or were uh, maybe 
patience, they ran the door. It was a very interesting place. And that was the first place we ever played good. And that kind of was the DNA, became the DNA for the band. So when you said it was supposed to be a lyric, was that just a melody placeholder? Yeah. So I was, I, I wrote the song that morning. We had a show that night in Jackson and we showed the song to the band. It was four chords, it's four chords, you know, and the idea, I was listening to a lot of Pixies at the time and, you know, and it's, it's no coincidence that the Pixies, uh, their documentary is called Loud, Quiet, Loud. And it's all just about hitting a distortion pedal, you know, the same chords. And that's how you do the dynamics. And so I played it. I was like, we need to play this tonight. So the, the wah-ah was supposed to, I didn't know what, it was going to be lyrics. And then people came up like, hey, man, I like that wah-ah song. And I was like, huh, and here I am <laughs> 30 years later. What do you think, in your mind, wah-ah was supposed to, you know, obviously you don't know what the, what was the intention of whatever that lyric was supposed to be? When I've had to write it, it it's, I write it out, aha, kind of like remembering like, aha, it was good living mm. with you, aha. You know, like a positive memory. Type. Yeah, like like just kind of remembers. But you know, a, a lot of my songs that have done well have not because of that song have a lot of you know the kind of a, something that's not a lyric. You know, and I found early on when I've played later songs, when I played songs that don't have lyrics that toddlers like, if I can play a song for a toddler <laughs> and they and they bounce their head up and down, I'm like, I'm cooking with gas. Yes, find me a toddler, play the track. <laughs> When you guys had good, and you did that feel different than? Sorry, than, we just I just touched your foot underneath the table. I apologize. I got news for you; that wasn't my foot. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Uh, did did it feel different with good? It did, man. Um, I do. There was just something about that song. I think most songwriters have that that the first one that connects, where you finally okay, what's my voice? Because at first I was we were our songs. The songs I was writing sounded like the Smiths and REM, and were a lot softer. But then I got into Husker Du, and I had a summer as a camp counselor in North Carolina, and I discovered The Replacements. And it was just that hard-edged rock thing. And I started writing songs like that, a song called um, Circle of Friends, which was on that first cassette. that was later on the Empire Records soundtrack, if people remember that movie, that Liv Tyler movie. But um, So that was the so, – so good, though, was the kind of distillation of, of like what was working live and, and – that kind of just, but it, the interesting about that song is that it was past. We played so many um, uh, showcases, you know, in these sterile rehearsal rooms in L.A. and New Orleans and stuff for, for label heads, and we'd, we'd, we'd be flown out to New York, and people listen to, it and they go, mm, "I don't hear it," you know, and they would they wouldn't wouldn't sign us. You know, five years later, those same label heads that passed on that song were telling their new artist, you need to write a song like Good. And we have friends in different bands who are like, man, you won't believe this, but, you know. You've anarchy. mentioned R.E.M. like five times. Oh, my gosh, when right? I, when Come I think on. of R.E.M., obviously Michael Stipe was a very, was just extremely dynamic anyway, yeah. but also regionally, like I think Athens, Georgia, R.E.M., like that, that, that's kind of where that started for them, right? Oh, yeah. There's such a, I re, I'm really feel fortunate and grateful that I was able to be in the band that toured that southeastern circuit of all the college towns, which had all these great college bars. And it goes back to R.E.M. and the B-52s and Driving and Crying and the Connells. But even before that, it goes to Sam and Dave and the Allman Brothers and Sam Cooke. You know, it was this circuit of, 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 of towns you played and you had to be, you, you learn very, very quickly. If you're going to be successful and asked back, you had to entertain people. And there were bands like REM and the Connells and a band called Dash Rip Rock. Do you remember Dash Rip Rock? I don't. They were a cow punk band from New Orleans that just were so great live. And I was like, that's what I got to do. I can't sit up and be cool. I've got to entertain. And it has to be a hyperbole. You know, you got to put it out there. You know that, you know? Um, and so it was a real great training ground. And there's, not as many bands do that because a lot of bands I'll work with, I work with the, right with a lot of young bands, and they they're very confident, which is you got to be. But there's no replacing getting out there and grinding it, rising and grinding. That's yeah. So there you go. I am, See, I'm, I'm familiar taking with my that. hat to you. Yeah. Um, there's no there's no uh, replacing you know those things that happen on stage that you're not ready for. The rapport you get with your band members, the, how to write a set list, the ebb and flow. You know. Here's the hit, and how do we string that together? And, and I was able to do that. What about the yeah. dynamic within the group? Because you took some time off, and now you're back. And I guess when you took some time off, you never planned to be back. It feels like when you guys split up, it wasn't, we're gone forever, but it doesn't seem like there was a, let's be sure to get back together. Yeah, I mean, I think we just needed time then 
just to kind of process when you go through a tragedy and uh, something traumatic like that for everybody. Um, you know, gosh, our band, we're going to keep doing it until people are really like, man, they really need to stop. <laughs> At <laughs> because what point, we had, did you guys decide you were going to do that, though? Like, all right, we're back. Like, Because, again, you can get back in and put your toe in the water. Yeah, yeah. And see. But when were you like, we have, we're going to recommit. we got to move back. We're going to make this record. You guys are coming out to L.A. I think that when we played our first show, and I went from playing a Telecaster and a twin reverb amp. I went and got a Les Paul and a, and a 4x12 cabinet with you know 25-watt greenbacks in it and a JCM 800 Marshall head. And I was like, I've got to be the guitarist. And I was able to do it. I had to step up my game and become a better guitarist. But when people reacted, we played Murphy's Bar and Grill, this, this seminal place in, in Murphy's, uh, in Baton Rouge, rather. But every band from the 90s and 80s would play, college bands. Um, and they, and the crowd reacted and there was so much love and we we're like, man, we got to do this as a tribute to Joel who had passed away. And, um, so we knew that moment, you know, and, and then we're just being friends. We, you know, we needed the connection. Jake Stark also was 21 years old when he was signed to his first record deal, who had a debut album that went platinum and another that went gold. Uh, I mean, how, how close is that? Well, Jake, but, but Jake, I was 28 when oh, we got signed. See, classic. see, classic. and, and Jake Stark was number 47 in People's Most Beautiful, 50 Most Beautiful People. I was never in People magazine. You weren't? I was never. I Here's what I thought when I read that. I thought... <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? I thought he was in People magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People. I never knew that about you. But do you know that I was in Playgirl? That Playgirl but in it, 1996 but had an a, interview? It was just no. Was your, it was, was like a wiener in there. No, I was not. Okay, it was not. So I, that's what so Playgirl. You know, sure. It was. It was. But your wiener was wasn't not, in Playgirl. It was not wiener. No, okay. it was the thing like the hot band, hot band alert, and, and their wieners. And I was there. Oh. And their wieners. Uh, did you ever open for REM? Uh, we did not. Uh, but Jake, Jake Stark did. Jake Stark did. Jake yeah. Stark opened for Lionel Richie. Tears and, for Fears, and he, Oasis. Yes, and yeah. he opened for REM at Royal Albert Hall, and that's where said Daniel Smith Daniels. Did you? Did you? No, I haven't listened to your audiobook. Do you you read your audio your book, right? Yes. So I've got two like adult books, not pornography books. Uh, no wieners. But I also have kid books. Kid book, yeah. No wieners. <laughs> no playgirl. Yeah. You went, you look, you went there. Let's I, just say I you heard, went for wieners. I did. I did. And, and I was like, where is it? Um, but I heard you did a- accents in yours. I do. Um, they're different uh, uh, musicians. One is Brit Kanuka. He's from Barbados. Um, there's a guy named Shane Sawyer, and he talks like Sam Elliott. Brother, my ego is not that's, my that ego. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, pretty good. good. See, yeah. So I do that, uh, and I had a blast doing it. I'm doing a, a girl named Dara Delaney from uh, Montana. I'm doing. You do Nish. a girl? I do a girl. Yeah. Go. No, you have to. You no, have to get the no, audio, it's, but, the, it's not that. It's that you know anyone that has. I just raised my project, voice. I just go, raised okay, my go voice. Go ahead. <laughs> Later. <laughs> now you put me on the spot. Brilliant, brilliant, Bobby. Perhaps we should get some tea later. That's better than I thought it would be. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Jake, I can raise it. If you touch my leg, it gets higher. I'm going to... Let it happen. I'll, Let it I, happen, We should Bobby. get back to Sam Elliott, boys. <laughs> uh, Jake Stark, who his own recording career began to falter, started mm-hmm. writing for Garth Brooks, The Chicks, and Madonna. Yeah. Now, this makes a lot of sense to me. Not the falter part, because I didn't see that, but Mike and I talked before you got here about the songs that you've written mm-hmm. in the country space. Um so was he do you write some big Garth Brooks hits or what? Jake Stark? Jake did. Yeah. I never did. Yeah, I know you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake wrote some uh, Garth Brooks songs, some Madonna songs. Um yeah. For in the country world here, Stuck Like Glue. Stuck Like Glue. Do you know the song that Which has uh oh uh oh which is wah uh yeah. And I was gonna get to that. There's a to- there's a toddler, <laughs> good toddler sound there. Oh my god. Wah, yeah. wah, look, wah. It, most songwriters, look, if you have an idea that a toddler laughs at or dances to, you're gonna have a hit. I did that song with them at a festival once and they were like, Hey, come do the rap part. And I was like, Gosh. uh it was like six hours notice, maybe less than that. Right. And I was like, you know, I know the song, but I don't really know know the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and I said, I don't know that I know all the rap part right. Because most of the time when you're just singing along with it, you just kind of do it and it sounds fun and you move on. I said, but I'm going to be critiqued. This is going to be recorded for a, like it was a television Posterity. Deal. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember every word, every word of that rat part. And Which you didn't really need to. Your 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 freestyle probably would have been better. I forgot her. most of it once I got up there. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And then I sound like I was just trying to be Creole. 
it, it just wasn't good in any way whatsoever. But I remember doing that song going, I did not know this. When you guys wrote that song and you wrote that rap part, did you write it as part of the song then? Did it come about later? So the interesting thing is, uh, and, and just to the rap, to your point, when that rap, that was like controversial. There were stations that were cutting it out, doing their own edits. And then, of course, you know, five years later, you know, you're, you're hearing, um, you know, Nelly with FGL and stuff. So it's not, you know, I guess they had to, uh, to break the mold. But also Jennifer was rap was the one rapping. Jeff- it wasn't like Jennifer you brought- was, and she did get kind of a, a Creole, he had to come to the ATL. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Miss Cleo is giving it. Yeah, yeah. She's very like, shaggy. Call the one nine hundred, then you call my number. I'm Miss hey. Cleo. I am here, and we do it one time. Yeah. So <laughs> that was a few G's, a little one time. You Fugees wrote that reference. in the in the same spot there. So that no, the the, the 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 way the song was written is it was 2010. I was writing with this guy named Shy Carter, who's had a lot of hits, uh, and you may have, you may have worked with him. He's an artist as well, and and we were we we really didn't know what to write, and at the time. Hey, Soul Sister was big for uh, for Train, and I'm yours, Jason Mraz. So I started playing this guitar part, which is the song. And two hours later, we had nothing. Then we went to get some coffee, went down to Intelligentsia in Silver Lake, and we came back, and I started playing it again. And a Shy went, yo, Kevin, I'm going to go out and get some herbal inspiration. So Shy went out and got stoned, and he came back in. He's like, man, put some auto-tune on my track. So I put auto-tune. Everybody knows what auto-tune is. You put, it was the key of G, put it in, and he started humming. 30 seconds, if you've, if you've ever written or worked with someone who smokes a lot of weed, you have a very small window to capture the juice. And it's, brother, it's amazing. It's like heaven-sent genius. But if you don't hit record, you're going to lose it. But I hit record, and he went, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I was like, oh, my God. And I had it recorded. We looped it. And that's us doing the, that's us doing that. So we, we wrote a verse and a chorus. And it never happens this way in the, in the music business. It was a Thursday. Our old drummer was playing with Sugarland, Travis McNabb. And I called uh, Travis. I was like, hey, man, give me Christian's phone number. And I called Christian. I was like, are you guys still working on your Sugarland album? He goes, yeah, dude, we're recording Tuesday and we need a single. And I was like, I have your single. And I sent him Shy. I've got the demo version. Uh, I sent Shy. Uh, we sent him like a 45 second verse chorus of the song, sent it to them. We're like, we're, record- we're going to record this. On uh, not Tuesday, completed. not completed though yet. Not completed. Yes. Yeah. So uh, they were, wrote the second verse, got and, it, and the rap, and uh, we were off to the races. And what did you think of the rap when you heard it? And what did you think of why they put it in, how they put it in? I totally dug it, man. You know, I I always believe that you know those doing things that aren't expected or maybe considered the norm. Uh, ultimately, you know, history. You're on the right side of history. And, and it it was a thing, you know, it, it, people talked about it. And now it seems tame by comparison, right? When you hear production and stuff these days. But uh, it was, I was, look, I was super grateful, you know, to, to have them cut it. The Bobby Cast. We'll be right back. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. 
the iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back on the Bobbycast. Why write a book? And why write it with a fictional character saying nonfiction things? Well, you know, um, I started doing this. They say that, you know, nothing good happens in a bar after 2 a.m., uh, especially in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. This one time, though, I was, I'd ridden in a, in a Hermes parade and I was having a jambalaya at FNM Patio Bar, Uptown New Orleans. Have you ever been there? No. It's a crazy place. It gets going around 3 a.m. Um, but I ran into this buddy who is uh, an entrepreneur guy in Dallas, and he was with a group of friends. They were YPO guys. And YPO is Young Presidents Organization. It's kind of like a fraternity for for very successful men and women. And so he goes, hey, man, uh, Malcolm Gladwell just spoke for us here in New Orleans. You want to speak for us in Dallas in three in three years? And I'm three years, three months. And I was like, yeah. I finished my jambalaya, forgot about it. Two months later, he's like, hey, so it, here's the date in Dallas. I had to think of something to speak about. And around about the same time, I was just working with younger artists and, uh, and, and getting asked, like, hey, how have you stayed successful in this business that's notoriously fickle? And I, was, and I realized, you know, so there was that going on, but also I had to do a speech. And I, was, and I thought of, like, these things that I've had to do, like, wow, there actually are tools, these practices I've kind of put into my life that have allowed me to be successful. So I kind of codified them in a speech. That took off from doing YPOs to Live Nation, Witch Witch to Google, Nike, Disney. And about four years ago, I was like, I want to put it into a book. But I didn't want it to be something just really kind of boring. And I've always, I like, I love, like I said earlier, you know, I love reading and I love stories. And, and I've, I've always liked business parables, things like Who Moved My Cheese, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, The Celestine Prophecy, you know, The Go-Giver, things like that. And I was like, you know what, what would excite me to write would be to write a story about a songwriter. And of course, there's liberal parts of my life. But look, I've never met a 28-year-old uh, British billionaire, Sir Daniel Smith Daniels, and all the different songwriters and all the different crazy things that happened to him. You know, if it ever happened to me. But uh, And that's really, and I wanted it to be something that, you know, so many books... When I, you know, like often, like you'll be like scrolling online and it says, do these five things to live to 100 and you click on it, but then you start scrolling and for, and after about 10 minutes, you're looking at the Jenners, you know, it's, it's clickbait. I like things that are actually every once in a while though, you click and it actually gives you those five things. And I wanted the book to be that I wanted people, I wanted it to be short. I wanted people to read it and actually have like, oh, these are the five things. I can actually put handles on those ideas and take them home with me. And Who are you targeting? Like who's your target audience? Um, I'm targeting um, people in business, people in careers, people who so have been not, in, not just music. Not just music. And what I found, the reason the speech took off for people is, they, is that, oh, wow. What I realized before I did that first speech and why it's kind of, it continues like I've, I was... I was just in uh, speaking to G- I was speaking to 600 people for a GM conference last week in San Antonio. The week before that, I was in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, talking to a ship Bob, which is a big omni fulfillment company. <laughs> what I realized is that oh, the same things I do in music to stay inspired and competitive and successful and connecting those dots from having a hit song and taking it to the right person is is the same in every business. And the things I do to stay successful in business also have helped me in my relationships with my family and my wife and stuff. And um, so, but I realized that people love music. It's sexy. You know, um, we know being in music, there's nothing sexy at all about it. Like Jesus Christ, let's let the facade remain. Um, and so music was like this great catalyst to get these ideas across that everybody can use. And that was really what like, and, and then being a songwriter, I realized, as you know, like when you have an idea to write a book, getting yourself up every day to write those 250 words or 500 words and committing to it was so hard. But because I'd been a songwriter and seen that something as silly as a song idea, like wah-ah, it was good, could turn into a song, an album, a hit, 
a life-changing thing. I knew that you just got to continue. I knew this. I knew the idea for the book was good because of the speech was successful. So I just knew I needed to write it. And then, then I got, you know, the developmental editor helping me and learning, you know, and, and being open to like, Hey, this is, I'm a, I'm a babe in the woods. I don't know what I'm doing. It was really cool. And, and it's been a really great endeavor. Are you killing it on the speaking circuit? Cause you're, you're mentioning a lot of places and there's a big, it's it, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. It's it's been like that. I'm doing a car. A, I'll just in a couple of months. I'm doing a car. We'll say oh, car. Sorry, my bad. No, you can move. That's fine. And it's a six figure speaking deal. And it's just those. Those are just normally that much. But you're listening to all these. I yeah. mean, are you? Is that how you're making most of your money now? Speaking, bro. I am a uh, no. No, I do well on the speaking things. I don't have six figures, but I'm not. You know, I don't have your reach and your. Um, yeah, but you have. The star power, but no, but no, Bones. no, that's not true at all. You have you, your star, but you're mentioning all these massive. Companies. It's been really cool. Yeah. So, so I do about seven a year, and um, and it's all word of mouth. Like I'm I'm represented by William Morris and CA with two different music projects. Ezra's with William Morris, but this is fun. CAA does Ezra Ray Hart, the band I have with Mark McGrath and Emerson Hart, and that's been turned into its own thing. But um, what I found is part of the speaking agency of WME, William Morris, is Harry Walker. And I'm a, I'm a, a speaker there with Malcolm Gladwell and all those other luminaries. You probably, are you one of those guys? No, no. not in that group. Um, but they don't give me anything. They've got me one gig. What, what it's really been about is word of mouth, playing shows, somebody reaching out and DMing me and stuff like that. Are just people who were have kind of segued into that business of booking, you know, conferences and stuff. But it's so much fun. What I do is I, I go um, uh, that the speech is like I play. It's a, it's my the story of my life and the story arc of, of 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 being signed, being dropped, reinventing myself, and the songs I play the hit songs throughout. The, uh, so you do a one man show. Basically. It's a one man show, and at the end of it, we write a song together. The last thing in the book, and also in the speech, is "Dare to Be Stupid," and the idea is that you'll never come up with anything truly groundbreaking unless you're prepared to fall on your face. So let's be stupid together. And I use the example of like J.T. Harding, who's one of the greatest, best songwriters in Nashville. He has no filter. You know, it, the people who come up with crazy ideas and th- and aren't afraid of looking silly are the ones that succeed. So then we write a song together, and a week later, everyone gets a fully produced uh, demo with me and thirty people or three thousand people. What do you mean you write a song? together you're doing a speech yeah. they just they're shouting things at you so like for example going to, to san antonio i flew in from uh, salt lake city and, and i had an idea for a song i was like okay the desert let's write a song called desert stars so i come up with a verse and a course uh, and i kind of know the verse lyrics are okay and i get up there and I'm like hey guys i know it's 10 a.m in the morning but we're gonna write a song here's the idea it's called desert stars we're in the hill country of san antonio and here's a here, here's a first verse and chorus. I think it's kind of dope. Let me know what you think. And I already have a beat on my on my Pro Tools, and I hit I hit play, and the beat's playing. I sing along. I go, "What do y'all think? Pretty pretty good." And somebody might say, "Say tequila." I'm like, "That's yes, dare to be stupid." And you know, we say tequila, and then we write the second verse together. And it's usually just four lines, and people and everybody on their table has a, a sharpies and pencils and papers. And there's always somebody without fail who comes up with this great line. You know, and then we're off to the races, and someone's my secretary or a, a man or a woman. They write out the lyrics. Then I sing the song, and like, and then I, everybody gets up. I have a microphone in front of the stage. All the guys get up. I'm like, give me. A, I'm gonna go. Hey, ho! They do haze and hoes, and I'm like, uh, what about uh, like desert stars? Was I like all the guys under the desert? Under the desert stars. And they'll start doing, under the desert, louder, louder. Dare to be stupid, louder. And then I'm like, yes, I've got you. Now give me some haze and hoes. And the girls come up, they go, woo. And then, you know, and then the guys will say, hey, senorita. And then we just, then I just, a few days after I come back home, I put it in the song, you know, Pro Tools, cut and paste. And they have a song. It's really fun. Now, if one of those goes viral and then... It that's exists. A, What's the split on the publishing So check there? this out. So we had a Jake Owens hold on a YPO, a song. I can't remember the name of it. It was me and about 42 people, songwriters. Yeah, is was, that what it was listed as? Yeah, it really is. <laughs> that's funny. I know, right? Wow. We interrupt this interview to bring you a message from our sponsor. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later... The co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. To the Bobby cast. So the book has a lot of your successful, famous people on it that are also standing and going, hey, this guy's good. We trust him. We would. Now look at it. Peyton Manning's on the cover. Peyton, yeah, and yeah. I mean, I'm not really. A, I'm on this. Well, you're, no, yeah, you're, in, no, you're in the biggest yeah, font. You're in 16-point yeah. font, and I everybody mean, else was... I, just, I knew... See, hey, I knew you were going to do see, that. See, you should have made me a fake... should have made me a fake version of I need a stunt mine. copy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you... Do you know Peyton Manning? I do know Peyton. How do you know? Obviously, he's New Orleans. He, New Orleans guy. So, since... Um, you know, there's three brothers. There's everybody knows Cooper now, right? Cooper was always the funniest one, and he apparently he was like a great athlete. But then he got this kind of stenosis of the spine that kind of messed his arm up. Cooper was a um, a big Ezra fan, and I think he turned uh, Peyton and Eli onto the band. And man, they would come to they would come to all our Tipitina shows in New Orleans. But more fun when we played Indianapolis, Peyton would come bring his whole offensive line. You know, and every time we did this time of year, well, there's a football in the air, he would throw the football out. In New York City at Irving Plaza, Eli would get up. There was one awesome time where Peyton and Eli got on stage at Irving Plaza in New York and throw the football out. And we've just been tight with those guys. You know, like we we did Red Rocks with Bare Naked Ladies last year, and Peyton got out and threw the ball. You know, that's so awesome. There's such and they're like organic fans. They're too. so they're so they know all the songs. They can sing along, uh, and they're so good. But they're also you know those guys. I mean, they also will screw with you. Mm-hmm. Like last time, right before I'm fired up. It's my first time to play Red Rocks, and Peyton's like, "Yo, Kevin." You sure you want to wear that shirt out on stage? <laughs> Give me shit. Give me shit. That I'm was like, nice of him to take the front page of the book, though. You know, it was really the good. Guy it, it, the they, guy doesn't have enough. They paid me really well. Yeah, to, to put because like he's it. like, listen, we need a little boost to a sagging career. Mm-hmm. Could you? Could he be the guy on the front? You mentioned? Do you have, do you have allergies at all? I, I'm, uh, take, I'm gonna take an allergy pill. No, do it. But that's what's up. No, do it. Adderall is a slippery slope. You know, I wish. Bobby. I I have to take I have to take allergy medicine probably from now until August every day. Oh really? Yeah, but then I don't. I sometimes I'll I'll take like a Claritin or something. They know? give me an EpiPen too. It's never been so that bad. so so you've got a bad. It's never been. I've never had it to the point of having to use it. But for some reason, every time they're like, "Do you have your EpiPen just in case?" And I'm like, "For what?" Well, are you like allergic to hornets? And yellow jackets? Not that I know of. 
They did allergy We could testing. try to. We could just do a test. I did that. Test. Well, not with that. I want to do that crap. We just get a whole bunch of hornets and yellow jackets. Let's Walk in there. We Let's can see find, how it We feels. can find a yellow jacket's nest. I did that test where they put a, like a scratch your back oh, with yeah. all the stuff. They still I, do that. I, yeah. I walked out and they did like 27 things on me. And I walked out and they were like, okay, you're you're allergic to, I don't remember. I should. Right, right, it's right. like ragweed times three, Chinese maple sauce. All these things I don't even know Chinese if they're here or not. Chinese maple sauce. And they're like, and you need an EpiPen just I in case. I partied with some Chinese maple sauce Did one you? time. Did you? Yeah. God, I was up for three so, days in Vegas. Well, pardon my, my allergy pill there. <laughs> pardon me taking that. Um, oh, good brother. You mentioned bare naked ladies. Yeah. Why does Ed hate me? Wait, what? You know, I've written like the all the singles on their past four or five records with, with Ed. We had the best time. Ed Robertson would love Bobby Bud. Ed Robertson wouldn't acknowledge anything that I would send him on social media. I would message him. I would write in his comments. Oh, everything. Man. Should we just should we just text him right now? And I was like, because I am the biggest BNL fan. They are such an amazing band. And I get to write the, the, the songs with Ed, that I could never write with any other artist. You know, we, 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 a song called Duct Tape Heart, you know, writing about duct tape, our love of, of, of duct tape. <laughs> but, you know, we just get to, you know, we get to write just, it's just, we have so much fun. He's one of the smartest, most, he's actually maddeningly talented. He'll kick your ass in cornhole. He's a pilot. He wrote, this is interesting, this is a cool kind of peek behind the curtain. The song that's been most successful for him is the Big Bang thing, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'm not. I'll let him repeat this because he's going to do the Bobby Casco. He's going to be myth. Apparently, Ed hates me. I, dude, he is he is a fan. Trust me. He doesn't um, know yet, but he okay. <laughs> no, he doesn't know. Um, but he was like, he told me about writing the song. He goes, Kevin, it's a hit song every quarter. This song is a world worldwide." Um, you know, it's in syndication all mm-hmm. over the world in 80 different languages, you know, and that song, it's nuts. The people who make the most in the songwriting business are the television writers, television composers. Um, I was at this thing right before the pandemic. It was the BMI Songwriters Fest in Kauai. Have you ever done, have you mm-hmm. ever done that? And I was there. I mean, Chris Gustafson was there, was there, Willie Nelson. I had to sing Wah-Ah. I, I did good, a private show right in front of Chris Gustafson and Willie Nelson. But it was all these, like uh, Miranda Lambert was there, Maren Morris. But the guy, Mike O'Neill from BMI, said, he said, you know the most successful guy in this room? And I was like, no. He goes, right over there. I flew, I flew over here from L.A. on his G5, Mike Post, who wrote uh, the theme from Taxi, uh, Hill Street Blues, all uh, Rockford Files. To this day, he writes, you know, hit theme songs and stuff. That's where the really stupid money is. That's like the biggest BMI and ASCAP writers really every year are always going to be Trent Reznor or, uh, you know, all these big television and film writers. Like Reznor for like uh, the, the Facebook movie, uh, Zuckerberg. Oh, uh, yeah. What did I just I just saw... Uh, what was it? The Blinding Light. It was a new um, Sam Mendes film that they did. Atticus and, and Trent did. Were you a Nine Inch Nails guy? Eh, it wasn't my thing. Me either. I was, Now that I'm past it and it's not as scary to me and as dark and I kind of understand it for what it was now better in I, the, my rear view yeah. than I appreciated it then because it was too much for me. It was me. too much. It was too relentless. This, this was interesting. So when, I, when they were having their biggest success, like Closer... And all those songs, they lived in New Orleans. Trent lived like five blocks from me. We both lived in the Garden District. And he had this uh, converted funeral home on Magazine Street. It was called Hot Snake Studio that was converted into a studio. It used to be a funeral home. A funeral home, home and a now mortuary. They're doing music. Wow, yeah. That is bizarre. And, all, and like, you, I went in there one night. I got invited. I met I was, I was this friend. And we was like, let's go to Trent Rezor's party. Was that we, partially for effect? Like, did it he, was so dark. And Marilyn, Marilyn Manson was there. And I was like, you know what, man? I, to work this hard to be this dark and scary, it just seems exhausting to me, and I'm just not that guy. But do you think that the whole buying the funeral home for a student, like you could have bought any building. Right. But do you think because that was his thing, or was it so much his real thing that that was his thing? I, I think he was, I think when you hear interviews, he was in a really dark place. You know, I don't think he was living the healthiest life. I'll let him elaborate on that. But I did go to his house. I, I went to his house. I was going to move, and I went and looked at his house when it was on the market. Uh, in the garden district, John Goodman from uh, Roseanne. Uh, of Roseanne fame ended up buying that house. 
Who's a I think big they re- I think they repainted New Orleans guy like massive. He is just he's like the part best. of his brand. He, he is uh, married to Annabeth Goodman, who uh, is a good friend, and she and she owns Pippin Lane, which is the coolest uh, little children's store on Magazine Street. You mentioned some of your songs a minute ago. Peyton Manning would come out. Uh, so that same song, yeah, this time of year. I, I t- I've told the story like five times, but you'd let people come out and play it. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, I want to come out. I was just, as a kid, teenager. He said, come up. So I got on stage, and I took the guitar. I play left-handed. I don't play right-handed, and I didn't know how to play it. And you said, get off stage. I said, I love you, but you have to go off the stage now. Yeah. <laughs> with love, with love. You didn't have, and I did, felt, I, did I scar you? Was this the moment you Yeah, I know. I remember. It was my moment to get up with my, my favorite band, and I was like, I know the song. And but I get up there. left-handed. And you, there was no left-handed guitar. Damn it, Dale. Yeah, I felt like somebody who didn't have... Hmm. My, but clearly, it didn't uh, stop you. I, maybe, maybe that was the maybe moment. Maybe that public shaming was the mm-hmm. thing that you needed every day. It was like I'll show Kevin Griffin. I really was going to get and it. your it's career. Be the best version you ever heard. When your books came out and they were New York Times bestsellers, like I'll show Kevin Griffin, that son of a bitch. Uh, so good is a big hit for you guys. How big did it get during that first single for Better Than Ezra? Did you get lost in it at all? Uh. You know what? I think if I would have gotten lost if if it had happened when I wrote it, it was five years old. Like if I was you know twenty two when it 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 came out, but we had been kind of I was twenty seven. I think maybe about to turn twenty eight. Though we though we lied about our age. Like if you go on Facebook, it says I'm two years younger than I actually am. It says I'm fifty four, but I'm fifty six. I can say that now. It sounds pathetic, but at the time <laughs> I was like, I'm taking it. No, leave it, leave it. Yeah, but so you wanted to be younger because you felt like. Well, it's 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 actually comical to think, but we weren't signed. We were 27, and bands younger than us were getting signed. We're like, we got to lie about our age. What is your age? And we said, put uh, two years younger. It sounds silly. But now my buddies, when it's my birthday, and you know, I have friends from college or whatever, live all over the country, maybe in Des Moines, it'll be a slow news day, and it says, today, you know, people born, new Jimmy Carter's on October 1st. Kevin Griffin from Better Than Ezra, 54 years old. My friends will just text me a screenshot. They're like, <laughs> you're, path- they're like you're pathetic. I'm like, ha 54 years old. <laughs> after good, but good. I didn't lose. Yeah, go, after it runs its course mm-hmm. as a single, and you're going to the next. What was the second single? In the blood. Okay. In the blood, and it was shot by uh, by um, Frank Ockenfels, who's done some of the most iconic covers of Rolling Stone magazine. He's a, he's a photographer first, but did videos, and that was uh, uh, his first one of his first videos. The third single was Rosalia. This is how crazy how in the '90s how much money the labels were making. Most most videos cost about two fifty three hundred k, you know. Um, back then, now you get a great video for like five k, but they were two fifty three hundred k with huge production. We shot the first video by a guy named Joseph Coltice, who did a lot of Nine Inch Nails uh, covers. The label didn't like it. So they were like, "No, we need, we want another one." So we flew to L.A. Frank, and they paid for it? yeah, two hundred fifty thousand, and they were just like, "Nah, yeah, we don't like it." But we paid for half of that. Yeah, so we were like paying the re- for it. like recoupable. Yeah, money? Recu- it was yeah. recoupable. I mean, we we were naive. So we fly to L.A. and the producer of the Rosalia, the second version, version two, was like, uh, "So we want someone. To, Frank wants this young actress to be. This was a girl named Rebecca. She was from New Zealand." Um, she, as, a, as a new actress, she's in a new Robert R- Rodriguez film called Desperado. Her name is Selma Hayek. I think you'll find her quite suitable to be Rosalia. And I was like, great. So uh, Ros- Rosalia, if you go online, Rosalia is, pr- is played by Selma Hayek. Uh, but the best part about shooting the video, they the, all the B-roll was with Selma was shot uh, apart from us. We did our live show. But we had the rap party at the Ivy on... Uh, on Robertson, it's a little, you know, it's a restaurant, uh, kind of snooty, but they have amazing chopped salads. So we were all there. It was a rap party, and everybody, everybody was drinking the Ivy Gimlets, which were super strong. And at the end of the dinners, like 14 of us, everyone's having a great time getting their drink on. Samway goes, like, uh, does anybody uh, yeah, does anybody want to go salsa dancing? And nobody said anything. And I was like, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Selma Hayek and I got in her car and we went to East LA and she taught me how to salsa dance and we, we kind of had fun and hung out for a couple of weeks and she was super cool that's awesome Yeah. what happened to the first video though? 
Oh, so the first video, have it? I have no idea. And and so we were $550,000 in. <laughs> and the Selma Hayek video, I think, got played 13 times on MTV. Well, when you so talk- half a million dollars. And where's the first? Like, could you, I mean, if you had to, the, I don't even Would know. it be in like an archive at the label? You know, maybe, probably is. The Joseph Coltice, it was super dark. That would be really cool. Be cool to release. I mean, I mean, like, our, our, like the Desperately Wanting video off of the Friction Baby album. That was done by Nigel Dick, who did uh, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and uh, uh, Wonderwall. I mean, it's a really cool, I mean, we did some cool videos. I mean, we always aspired to be Radiohead or something like that, who always did cool videos, you know, but we weren't that lucky. Some of our videos were silly. When you're, when, when Good Crushes, and that's on pop radio, mm-hmm. and then um, even Rosalia, I would hear that more on rock radio, or alternate, I should say, because it was, yeah, yeah, it was definitely alt. split. More alt, I would hear that on alt, like the Edge in Dallas, and... It wasn't until probably desperately wanting that I feel like again I started to hear it back on yeah, yeah. pop radio pop. again. You know who was big for us was was uh, 99X in Atlanta, Leslie Fram. You know she, she was really on, she was on the morning show there. Yeah, yeah, and they really broke Jimmy. Us. Jimmy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ba- was it Barnes? Dave, Jim, yeah, Jim, Barnes. Yeah. Is that- they were like morning show forever. They're they back they, doing it now. They're back doing. I think I'm doing it next week. Really? I think I'm going to do it at 8 a.m. Um, desperately wanting. You know, you, you, looking back, the first single from the Friction Baby album was King of New Orleans. In hindsight, it should have been Desperately Wanting. That was the song that reacted. And I think that album, I think the Friction Baby album would have done, you know, done as many copies as deluxe, you know, but as it was, it went, it went platinum barely. Um, but uh, yeah, it was ba- Desperately just kind of just resonated with people. Yeah, that was like, that one felt to me like a, 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 a fun dark if that's possible, you know, it was the nineties in the nineties, you know, you had a lot of times I'll be playing and now, you know, we play, we will do like a corporate event or now, you know, the band's been around long enough to where we will do privates and it's for somebody's 50th birthday party. Right. And it, and we're playing songs and it gets a desperate warning and it's like, when they pumped out your guts, filled you full of those pills. Everybody <laughs> party. But it's but, like but, it's still such a strong buildup. I remember running through the wet grass, fall and it, so yeah, it was like fun dark. It was, it like, was fun dark. dark. Yeah. And, and in the nineties though, you were it was you it was you were encouraged. You just wrote heavy lyrics. It needed to have meat and it had to be something and and so many of those early songs for me were really uh, uh, were heavy, but uh, some of my favorite songs, like when you p- pull back the layers, like uh, of some of some big pop songs, they kind of have dark lyrics. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, extraordinary, a bit different though. Yes, that one felt complete, completely different. I played that. I was just doing pop radio at the time, like on the radio. I played that one. That uh, that was the orange. I'm trying. I'm that, that, that was uh, the closer record. Yeah, and that was was that like orange? Something. It was middle? kind of yellow. Then I'm, the you orange. know, I'm colorblind, severely colorblind. Oh, really? Yeah, but it was orangeish, right? Orange. Throw, throw me a bone. Throw me a bone here. Okay, good. Thank you. It's orange. Yes, yeah, thank yes. you. But that song was was up. I'm gonna I'm gonna make fun of your colorblindness and the fact that you're left-handed, and I sent you back into the audience. I've got to make that up to you. Well, you, you kind of did. You played our big charity show. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. But you see, you let me perform for the first time on the Ryman stage. I've never performed on there before. Really? Or after. Well, you're welcome. See what I do for you on a stage? Mm. You see what you did for me on a stage? You know <laughs> exactly what? Exactly the is, opposite. This is going to be some it's kind of crap. Why don't at Pilgrimage Festival, you get, you get on the stage with the left-handed... See, my wife works I'm for not, Gibson. I'm now we're going to get you a great... No, no, no. See, this ruin, is it. I'm not going to run a great song. No, because no, if no. I, no, 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 no. This no. is about you, Bob. Unless you were... Unless you turned me off... And you just let me fake it, dude. Because you're, there's no, you're good. No, I'm okay. But there are so many people there that want to want to see you guys do that song because that is a cult, that's a cult song. It's one of my favorite songs from you guys, and it was people never a single. People love that song. Yeah, people love that song. I wish it had been a single. I wish we'd recorded it better. That that whole album was as es- Ezra's biggest, you know, album. It always will be. It was recorded on half inch analog tape. Not even like professional grade and when you when you a b it next to some other music it's sound you can tell sonically it's not there but i wish that song uh, this time of year would have been a single but this time of year you're on stage if you're in town what uh, let's I just look i loose. do want to talk about pilgrimage because we can use this also for what we always do every year with pilgrimage we can talk about it here and i can take I it, it and place it on the radio take show as well um so what do we got here about we got about seven eight minutes so let's First of all, to conclude about the book, it is yes. not just a songwriter's book. No. It is a book generally about, I'm not even going to say success, because my second book, Fail Until You Don't, is not about success. It's about 
hopefully the end product is some sort of success. Yeah. But it's about what it takes and a lot of the things that you have to take in order to get there. And it feels like this book is kind of that too, where you it, it, you kind of give freedom to experiment, to fall, be foolish, because it takes that. It takes you trying things to be able to actually find them. Exactly. And, and just and trying them sometimes can result in things that are embarrassing or what I found is that is that everything I always thought the way I was in business and and success and the way I was in my family and and were different and I realized at some point it's all connected and if I conduct myself the way I, the way I should and and creatively in songwriting and, and business and and do use those tools like listening and 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 contrary action and, and checking my ego in my personal life everything got got gets amazing and, and I'm so much more successful and that's what this book is about that that is all connected and uh, that was the big aha moment for me okay so everybody get the book it's called the greatest song spark creativity ignite your career and transform your life we talked about it before Kevin got here but there it is again now from that we got a few minutes to talk about mm-hmm. pilgrimage festival you guys hit a home run with the Zach Bryan booking. Dude. Is that one of those where you're like, we knew he was going to be awesome, but we didn't know he was going to be this big? We, we had no idea. I mean, I mean, uh, the Zach Bryan phenomenon is cray. And uh, as a producer, you're always hoping you get that booking before they get big. Look, the first year of pilgrimage, 2015, the third t- t- the th- third act on the stage, on, the, on our second stage, was Chris Stapleton. You know, and then fast forward six years later, we're paying him a lot more money yeah. to headline. You always want to do that. Last year, we had John Batiste before all the Grammy nominations, but that, but Zach is a whole, is a whole next level, and, and it's a phenomenon. And when we we were able to lock him down, we were very excited. The Lumineers, oh, who are so great live, They're insane live. Uh, so when you book that far out, Zach Bryan feels like because I assume you have to book this a year. In advance, right? Yeah. Close? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach Bryan feels like a little riskier than the Lumineers because the Zach Bryan monster that it is now, although it was growing and it was eating, it wasn't as big. So that I've, that felt like that was a little bit of a gamble. Zach kind of happened. We're we're one of the uh, – now every festival is getting, them, getting him to headline. But us and Railbird were the first festivals that were like, you know, this guy is a headline. It's a headline artist. And we, we could already – you know, we already had our ear to the ground, and we were already already starting to see the phenomenon and what he was doing on his own shows at Red Rock and stuff. But still, it was a leap. But you know, we have a it's a great group of people, and and we had a few people like, trust me, this is a great this is a great get for this festival. It's going to be huge, and he's such a cool dude as well. We had a deal when I was in Austin, and we had to book this show. We were doing something called a Second Chance Prom, which back in the day was cool, but now everybody's done it a hundred times. But they. They had we had ten thousand bucks to book an artist, right? And so we booked this this new artist who had a single who had just come out, and we spent all ten thousand dollars on her. And she was a little eccentric, but I was I felt pretty good that she would at least have some success six months later, whenever the show happened. It was Lady Gaga. When you drive a vehicle so reliable, it's backed by a ten year, one hundred thousand mile limited warranty. You stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, 
we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And by the time she came to play this venue that we had reserved for 800 people, she was so freaking big that there were more people outside trying to get in than there were inside the place. That's amazing. We, we, it's lighting in a bottle. And remember that I, I was in this weekend, I was with my wife in Mexico City. It was her birthday. Went for the first time and we heard the first Lady Gaga single. Remember that song? You remember what it was? Just Dance? Just, Just Yeah, that was the one. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's such a good song. I hadn't heard it. I was like, oh my God, I remember I was living in LA at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf when I heard this song the first time. I was like, this is a good song. Another act that you have that I love just a per- there's so many acts. This is like festival for me. Like I love the Black Crows. Adam can play my show. Those, the, the I've never brothers. seen them live. They're they're great. They're still great. And they have so many songs, right? That's what oh, it is. Dude. It's about the songs. But the head and the heart, like that's where it is for me. That's what I listen to when it's like, what do you listen to for fun? The head and the heart. Head and the heart is a band. I love that first record. You know, they've gotten better and better every album. And this new album, and now they're kind of writing with they're writing with Justin Tranter and I think Ashley Gorley may have written one of the big songs on this new album. They're just getting smarter and better. They're they're selling out bigger places. They did a Sins Amphitheater last year, sold it out. I've kind of gotten to be friends with their manager, a guy named Matt Shea, who also manages Charlie Worsham, a great guy. Um, and so just kind of starting to know the dynamics of that band, I, I'm so fired up to have them on. Haley Witters, who I love, is playing the festival? That was one of the artists that was, that was like, we have to get Haley Witters. You know, I, I, I think she, she feels just kind of a, a countryer Casey Musgraves to me. You know, uh, authentic isn't the right word because Casey's super authentic. She's a badass. But there's something about Haley that she's got a little bit of Casey, but her own thing too. This festival has really grown, and I feel like now it has a cleat in the ground. Yeah. Where anytime you launch any sort of festival, any sort of series of shows, it's just like year one, it's a risk, we're going to lose money, year two, you know? It's that, but I feel like now you guys have something where people expect it and they expect it to be good. Yeah. Do you feel the same? I do feel the same. You know, it's, man, everything we thought wasn't going to be true that, that more experienced people told us turned out to be true. They're like, you're going you're gonna to lose your ass year one. You're going to lose your ass year two. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to do fine. And then you lose your ass. Or one guy from, from, uh, who does uh, ACL and, and, and Lala in Chicago, he said, he was like, what is the minimum amount of tickets you think you'll sell the first year? And we're like, 12,000. He said, you'll sell 6,000 tickets. And he was right, you know. But we made it through. And, you know, year three, we had Justin Timberlake, and that was a big game changer. And then the next year, we get rained out, you know. And then we didn't realize that when you rain out, People might love your festival, but they're, the next year they're going to be like, I'm going to take a break. You know, we had Foo Fighters and the Killers that year, you know, but a lot of people didn't come because they'd been told to go home when the sky was blue. Of course, an hour later it was, you know, Deluge and 69 lightning strikes on the property. Um, but uh, now, though, it does feel like we're kind of just hit our stride. We know what we're doing. We've got it so tweaked and so dialed in, you know, from just the GA experience to the VIP. It's just a blast to do. And it's, a, and, and it's just turned into a thing, you know. And when I go, like, man, I never knew doing this that I was going to be on a first-name basis with the mayor of Franklin and all the aldermen and having mint tea and, <laughs> and, and cucumber sandwiches with, with aldermen and stuff. But it's really been cool. Uh, and I have to do all that stuff. It's kind of being the face of the festival. But I kind of really get into it. And, and, and it also has... It also has a, um, a purpose. You know, there's, we support like five or six different charities in Franklin. Uh, 50 cents of every ticket goes to Music Cares. Uh, actually, now it's Gibson Gives. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's cool. Pilgrimage Music and Cultural Festival back in Franklin, September 23rd yes. and 24th. Get your tickets at pilgrimagefestival.com. You got the book. You're still on the road. You're speaking. You got Pilgrimage Festival. I mean. You know what I'm trying to do? What? What are you trying to do? Be Bobby Bones. You don't want to do that. I want to be an older, yeah. more haggard Bobby you Bones. You don't want to be that at I all. I want to be a more am... world-weary, jaded Bobby Bones. And you're going to let Ed know <laughs> that he doesn't hate me. Dude, 
We should make a, Ed a video. Record the, me. This is gonna. This is gonna be. Record me. I'm gonna make a video for Ed. Great. This is gonna be so good. <laughs> All right, ready? Anyway. Ed, hello. It's Bobby Bones. You probably have no idea. I am sitting here with Kevin, longtime friends. I mean, he, he admires me so much. You probably. I mean, it's just weird how much he admires me. I um, love him. Yes, thank you. Ed, listen to this man. And so I've been trying to get a hold of you for like basically years. I'd write comments on your Instagram. I'd send you DMs. I tweet. And I just felt very ignored. And I was doing an interview about songwriting on um, a wildly popular podcast. It's millions, yeah, mil- millions and millions of months. And I was like, why does Ed hate me? And Kevin gave me five reasons why you hated me. But I just wanted to say, please don't anymore. <laughs> Would love to meet you in person. And I love BNL for life. That's what I am. All right, see you, buddy. I'm gonna send this yeah, let me, know what he, let me know what he says. <laughs> We're wrapping up. Um, do, go to all that stuff. The book, which we talked about at the beginning, we'll put in the notes. Uh, the Pilgrimage Festival, so we'll put in the notes too. And I just admire you for real dude let me say let me say in in all honesty you've been you've been so kind always from the from the get-go and i'm watching your career and all the hustle you do it's just badass man and you're you're a homeboy you're 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 an arkansas guy i'm a monroe guy you know, we used to listen to KTVE Channel Ten. Were you Pepper and Bluff, Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever do that? Yeah, no, no, no. I, I knew it, but yes. Okay. Yes. You get my point. Yes, I do. Same. Okay. We had the same. We we were experiencing the same things. Same. We, we were looking too. at the same star, having the same, same dreams. stars. That's right. All right, there he is, Kevin Griffin. Kevin, thanks, buddy. Brother, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Bobby Cast. Share this episode with a friend because they don't pay to advertise us. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.